Thank you for listening to this audio recording from the pastoral team at Church of the Redeemer, an Anglican church in Greensboro, North Carolina. If you'd like to know more about Church of the Redeemer, its ministry, or its mission, then visit us online at RedeemerGSO.org. Well, good morning. Pray with me, please, before we dive in. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Well, good morning. I am excited to jump into our passage today. We have the transfiguration to look at today and to think about and to hopefully be transformed by ourselves. Um, Before we get started, I am going to reread our passage just because, you know me, I am our youth ministry director and I like audience participation. And so guess what, guys? You are in for a treat because Yeah, right? Thank you. Uh, No, I'm so glad that you're here. And we are going to read it again. And I want you to participate with me today in thinking about what are we seeing in this passage. I want you to use your observation skills. If you need a crash course in reminders, it's the four W's and an H. Is that right? Where, what, when, why, and how? They probably have changed it since I was in school, but we're going to do that today together. So I'm going to go back to the very beginning of our reading in the gospel, and um, we might be able to have it on the screens, but if not, you can follow along in the Bibles in front of you or on your device. And starting in verse 1, we hear, Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three dwellings here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them, and from the the cloud a voice said, This is my son, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up and do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. We're going to stop right there. And I want, for just a minute... I want you to tell me what we actually see here. We're going to look at this passage together in three sections. We're going to look at what actually happened, and we're going to look at why did this happen, and then thirdly, we're going to look at what happens now. So if you're a note taker, there you go, three sections. Um, And so first of all, let's think about this passage, because sometimes I feel like it's one of those passages that feels like, what's going on here? What actually just happened? Did this even really happen? Is this some part of the resurrection? Is this just kind of a vision? What actually happened? And so I want you to tell me from looking at this passage or from what you just heard twice now, what actually happened? What do we actually see? Some facts that you see in this passage. And, and I would love to hear, hear your voices. What actually happened in this passage? Who's there? Elijah, Moses, who else? Jesus, Peter. Peter. Yes, he was. I heard somebody else say something over here. James and John. Okay, where were they? 
They were on a high mountain. Yep. And they were with Jesus and they were by themselves. It says they were themselves. And then what happened with Jesus? Something really crazy kind of happened. What? Yes. He was transfigured. What did that mean? It says that his, his face became what? Yeah, like the sun, radiant, shining out. And his clothes, something happened. Did you guys hear what happened with his clothes? Became white, radiant, white. And this account is really interesting because it's actually in three of the Gospels. And it's almost an identical passage where we see that the disciples are encountering this time with Jesus, this glory revealed. And I think that sometimes in all of our striving to understand our faith, there is this piece of mystery that gets lost. There's this piece of being able to behold God's glory that we sometimes miss. We like to make sense of our faith. I'm very much a thinker, and I like to be able to have everything make sense. And a lot of times, even when I'm talking to people, I'll say, does that make sense? It's very important to me for things to make sense. But sometimes it can get me into trouble because sometimes I forget to just wonder at the mystery of God and at the power of his revelation to us. And so as they are there, as they're witnessing this transfiguration, I love what we see in with what Peter does. Peter, I love Peter. He's so great. I feel very similar to him in a lot of ways. And in the message translation, it says, um, it says this translation, Peter broke in, Master, this is a great moment. What would you think if I build three memorials here on the mountain? One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was going on like this babbling, a light radiant cloud enveloped them and surrounding them from the deep in a, the cloud, a voice. This is my son, marked by my love, focus of my delight. Listen to him. That phrase, babbling, I feel like a lot of times when we are moved by the Spirit or sometimes moved by the Lord or we see something miraculous and we're trying to make sense of it, we just want to go right into action. We're like, what can I do to show that I am so on fire for the Lord and I am so excited about what just happened? I need to do something. And the voice of the Lord just comes and says, this is my well-beloved Son, Listen to him. Okay, so now that we have a good picture of what actually happened, I want us to look at this next section. Why did this happen? Why were they the people there? Why did this happen? And there's, there's, we could go on this. We could do a whole sermon series on the transfiguration, but we are not. We are just going to look at a couple reasons. So we see Moses and Elijah here. And Moses was the representative of the Israelites' people that brought the law, the person that brought the law to the Israelites. The Lord had given the law in a cloud, very similar, to Moses. And Moses had come down and given the law to the people. And then we have, on the other side, Elijah. And there's a lot of people that are great forefathers in our faith and a lot of people that would have been amazing to have been there at this transfiguration. But we have the law represented with Moses, and then we have the prophets represented with Elijah. And Elijah was always seen as the greatest of the prophets, 
Even though we actually, we don't have, you know, like we have all the prophets and a lot of our youth could probably tell us a lot about our prophets. We've spent a long time talking about the Old Testament and all the different prophets. But Elijah, even though he doesn't have, you know, his name on a book like Isaiah or Jeremiah, he is actually known to be one of the greatest prophets. And if not the greatest prophet. And so when we have Elijah standing there with Moses and Jesus, Elijah is representing the prophets, the prophecies of God being revealed. And so we have Jesus in the middle of these two, in the middle of the law and the prophets, and Jesus being revealed as the fulfillment in his glory of both of these things. I think about Peter, James, and John being normal Jewish men, normal people who had been trained and taught the scriptures and the, from old, from the stories that they had been passed down for years and years, knowing that their whole faith was built on these two principles, the law and the prophets. And I know that they had seen the glory of Jesus. They had seen in bits and pieces. They had seen Jesus doing miracles and healing and providing food for thousands. But there's part of me that thinks that I wonder if they just wondered, are we being deceived? Is this really the Messiah? We've waited for him for so long. We've known that he's coming. Is this really the one that we've hoped he was? And so I think that Jesus allows James and John and Peter to see his glory revealed in this moment, not just for Jesus' sake, but for their sake. He didn't have to show them this. We don't know if Jesus had a regular practice of when he went up on the mountain, he communed with the Father and possibly had times like this by himself. We don't know. But what we do know is that he allowed Peter, James, and John to see it, to actually see this glimpse of his glory revealed in the flesh right then and there with them. I think that once Peter, James, and John were able to see, okay, These things are fulfilled in Jesus. He's here with Moses and with Elijah. He is this fulfillment of our salvation, bringing these things together. He is God. He has always been. He will always be. This mystery that doesn't make sense to our rational brains was revealed in this beauty of the glory of his, this glimpse of his glory. And here's the other reason why I feel like it was so important that Peter, James, and John were there and actually able to see. Um, I'm going to give a quick illustration. So when I was growing up, I, I would always, um, I played piano for a long time, for like 10 years. And I really enjoyed playing piano and I really loved listening to piano, but I hated sight reading. And so I never really learned to do it. I always got by on just playing by my ear. And whenever I was going to start on a new piece, my piano teacher would, um, she would play this new piece from the beginning to the end, and it was beautiful. And I remember thinking like, this is the piece I'm going to get to play? This piece? This is too long. It's too beautiful. It's too amazing. There's no way I can learn this piece. It's beautiful. 
so long and full and bright and beautiful. And she would just play it for me once because then she knew if she played it anymore, I wouldn't learn it measure by measure. I would try to recall it by ear and I would get things wrong because I wasn't actually sight reading. And so she would play it for me once and give me this vision of what I was going to be able to play. And then she would take me back to the very beginning and teach me measure by measure how to play the piece. And over weeks and months sometimes, I would gradually learn measure by measure how to play the whole piece in its entirety. And I can always remember that feeling of just like, I can't believe I'm going to play this. And being astounded, at, it was so good and so pretty, me. And I feel like, even though that's a very simplistic illustration, I feel like Jesus wanted Peter, James, and John to catch a glimpse of what they were actually being disciples about and who they were being disciples for. Jesus wasn't just this nice guy that they decided to follow that was teaching them some good things. He was giving them a glimpse into the fact that he was and is and would be glorified as God, with God, in God, forever and always. They were, giving, they were being given this glimpse into his glory. And I think that he knew that they needed that. They needed to know in their bones because he knew how hard the road was going to be ahead of them. He knew that they were going to have people betray them and be angry with them and curse them and probably abuse them and even have to give up their whole lives to serve him. I think that the fact that Jesus let Peter, James, and John be a part of this experience. It's a beautiful gift for them because he knew that they would get to tell the world, this Messiah that we serve is God. He really is. He really is. Okay, moving on to our last section, friends. When we think about now what happens, what happens now? We see these different things and we look in the mystery of the, of the Lord in this passage and it's amazing and beautiful and miraculous and it doesn't really make sense to our brains, but we're kind of like, well, what now? How does this actually apply to my life, Melissa? What does this actually mean in my 2023 day in, day out life? Here's the thing that I want us to hold to. Three things as we leave from today and go forward, we cannot stop looking for glimpses of his glory. Everything in our world would tell us to stop looking for his glory. Everything would say, every, every expert in, in different fields, people would say, well, that can be explained, or that could be understood and there is a level of our faith that is not communicated by knowledge and understanding. There is a level of our faith that just is faith. And that cannot be explained away. And it shouldn't be, friends. Because it is mystical and beautiful and holy and reverent and sacred. This God that we serve is the almighty God of the universe. And though we cannot see him, 
We have seen his glory revealed in Christ. We cannot stop looking for those glimpses of his glory. The miracle of a child being born. The healing of a body with medicine that can heal. It's amazing. The beauty of his creation that we get to see coming into life, into our existence. The words of a friend spoken at just the right time that minister to us in the deepest part of our soul. Truth that maybe we need to cling to. The still small voice of knowing Christ is revealing himself around us all the time. So we cannot stop looking and seeing glimpses of his glory. It was not just for Peter, James, and John. We get to see this in scripture and take hold of this truth that Jesus is God. And we get to be reminded of his glory and the glory that is to come. And we cannot stop looking for those glimpses and being awed by his beauty. And the second thing is that we get to serve as a signpost for the world around us. Not only was Moses a signpost, not only was Elijah a signpost for the believers, for the world around them, we also, just like the disciples, we get to be a signpost for the Lord, for his glory. We get to show people what it looks like to be a body of believers, to be the family of God, to be love, to be light. As Father Benjamin Wall reminded us a couple weeks ago, we are the light of the world. The world looks to us to see what Christ looks like. Our lives must reflect his goodness and glory because they will not find it apart from God. We were with some dear friends this past weekend and um, does anyone know what this is? Any, any friends? It is a type, what did you say? No, no, this is, any nautical fans in here or? Yes, um, it is, it is a deck prism. And these were used on boats and ships long ago. Maybe sometimes still, if you have a wooden boat that you want to put a deck prism in. But they are put in the, in the decking part of a boat. And the light from the sun hits this prism, the top of it, and it would be sealed into the wood. And it gives light to the underneath side of the boat. So they would have these on ships' decks all over. And it would allow the people in the boats, when they go underneath, before they had electricity, to be able to see the underside of what, what was in the downstairs, the cabin, I guess. You like all my nautical phrases? You can tell I'm really experienced with it. Um, we were with some dear friends this weekend in the mountains, and um, our friends John and Emily Freeman. And John, his dad and him, have always loved um, nautical analogies, and his dad loved boats. His dad passed away several years ago, and um, they were in a really neat situation last year where um, they had this opportunity to possibly go look at this, this mountain house in um, Morganton, North Carolina, but it would mean that they would be letting go of his childhood home, and it was a really, you know, a critical decision for their family because they knew that 
They would have to, you know, have one or the other. And everyone else in the family had seen the house except John. And as he was about to walk in and see this house in Morganton to kind of look at and think about, he just offered up a prayer. He said, you know, Lord, I'm not really a signs guy, but I'd love to know if this is something that you want us to pursue. I'd love to just maybe have some little glimpse of a reason that would show me to pursue this, to, to allow these steps to be taken if you want us to walk into buying this house. Um, and so as he looked around and as he was um, in, the, in the house and looking at everything and everyone's kind of watching him as he walks through because they've all seen it and they're wondering, what does he think? What's John think? Um, and he's taking it all in and he just kind of thinking, what would this mean? And he walks out and he's on the deck and he looks down and he sees a deck prism right at his feet and it was like a sign from the Lord and, and with his dad, this connection of, you know, that, that deck prism had been, probably been put there decades before. But yet this deck prism served as a little bit of a sign of, here you go. Here's a step. It's okay. You can trust this. I'm going to be with you. This is a, this is a beautiful a beautiful way to be able to see my light in the world. And as he knew that it was the Holy Spirit revealing this confidence of, it's okay to step here. It's okay to move towards this. It was just this reassurance of the Spirit. And I think that we have those experiences in life and it becomes really easy for us to talk ourselves out of it and to think, oh, that was just, I don't know, maybe that was just at camp that I had that happen. Or maybe that was just with that one person they really love the Lord, and I guess I just felt his presence because of them. Or, I don't know, was that really God? I don't really think like that, and, but I don't really know. I think it's really easy for us to dismiss the Holy Spirit and his majesty and his mystery because we don't always understand what it means. And the beauty of us being these signposts to the world around us is that we don't have to explain it all, friends. We can live in this mystery of faith and just worship and live lives that are full of revealing the glory of God because we are marked by Christ. We are marked by his glory and we get to live that out to the world around us. The last way that I would say, what does it mean for us to continue on in this being reminded of God's glory, what happens now we don't stop meeting together. We don't stop coming to the table. We don't give up gathering together in this Eucharistic community. When we come to this table week after week, we are reminded that Jesus, he connects Moses and before Elijah and the prophets, the law, the prophets, the apostles' lives, us here today and on forever that Jesus is the revelation and that when we point towards the table, when we point toward, towards each other in our sacraments and in our worship, we are all joining in, in to this community of faith. We get to turn and look towards his glory and have it revealed among us as we continue to gather, as we continue to press on, as we continue to remember that he is good. And even when there is a lot of darkness around us, he will be glorified. He will be seen in all his glory. 
in our lives and in the age to come. This glory that we get to partake of, where the very mundane of bread and wine becomes this beautiful, miraculous meal, where we get to partake of the holy and the sacred, and we ask for his body and blood to cleanse our body, to cleanse our lives, to allow us to be the light that is given to the world around us, to ask that we can partake in this holy mystery that Christ has died and Christ is risen and Christ will come again. And as we do that week after week, we are brought into the family of God. We are reminded that his glory is made manifest among us through the Father and through the Son and through the Holy Spirit. And with all the saints that have gone before and with all that will come after, we receive this very transfiguration in our own lives. May it be so with us today, friends. May we enter into this meal and this fellowship in a way that would remind us that his light and his glory is here with us and among us. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.